0: I don't have to tell you this. You know that the world can be a dark place. But have you ever thought about whose job it is to combat that darkness? The people who take some of the riskiest jobs, like hunting child abductors, recovering human remains, or tracking international fugitives? I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and in my show Dark Arenas, you'll hear first-hand accounts from people who work in professions that deal with the deviant and defy the dangerous. Each episode of Dark Arenas is going to give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to investigate the most heinous crimes and most violent criminals in society. You're going to learn about the people who choose these jobs and who stay working in them despite the tolls they take. Enter the darkness of espionage, fugitive hunting, crime scene recreation, and more on Dark Arenas. Listen to Dark Arenas now wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Have you ever seriously pissed off your in-laws? A couple of years ago, I started investigating a murder in my wife's family. Why would I do something so stupid? Well, partly because I've come to suspect that the woman who was killed is haunting the house I grew up in.
2: There was a weight on the beard like somebody was in it.
0: I woke up. Because my bed was shaking. So it would be like shake, 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 shake,
2: But mainly
1: because I think someone in the family might have got away with murder. And my in-laws? Well, they're not exactly thrilled about it. You are deconstructing an age-old story.
3: We're gonna be more traumatized by this podcast than we were about the murder, I'll tell you that.
2: There is going to be
1: blowback. I'm Tristan Redmond, and from Wandering and Pineapple Street Studios, this is Ghost Story a podcast about the things that come back to haunt us. Follow Ghost Story on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Ghost Story ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
4: Here's something that a scientist and a detective both know. It can take years to get to the truth. That much was true when I sat down with detective Jim Curtis in a diner in 2016. 12 years after Dr. Eugene Manilov was found dead in his driveway. And you mentioned something about how you never really dealt with academics before and you said you were surprised like they were kind of acted like little children in some regard. Curtis was a cop through and through. He'd worked the streets in New York City and then moved to the quieter town of Norwich and even had a stint as an officer for the University of Connecticut. Along the way, he'd encountered plenty of characters.
5: And I'll give you a quick little story. A guy at UConn locks his keys in his in his office in a restricted area. I can't even get into it. As a police officer, I, can't, I don't even have a card to swipe. No. I just can't even get into it. And he calls us up, and when he comes out of the restricted area, he locks himself out of the restricted area. It doesn't even come to think that why we're there. And as we're talking, I'm, I look down and they're brown shoes. He's got a little, it wasn't a lab coat. It was like a, almost like a painter's smock, you know? And he's got his shoes on the long fricking feet. And this guy's the head of this molecular, yeah. biological, nuclear, yeah. you know, chemistry, yeah. you know, pod. I mean, the guy's probably the smartest guy on the fricking yeah. planet. Yeah. And he had his shoes on the long freaking feet, you know? Yeah. So when we're dealing with some of the people that are talking about Malov in that perspective, That's kind of how they were.
4: Curtis had no idea what he was getting himself into when he began investigating Dr. Malov's murder.
5: There's some people that believe that he was murdered by big oil. You know, he was murdered by some French scientist. He was murdered by some Swiss scientist. You know, I'm not saying those to be true. I'm just saying they're not investigators. They they don't. Based their comments or decisions. In fact, it's based on their opinion, their belief. There's really nothing to back it up. There's no names to associate with. There's no money. All those motives that are those general motives that that you know under these circumstances would get someone killed.
4: He had no idea he would be entering this battleground of politics, money, ego, and academia, filled with conspiratorial characters, where trust is often, in short, supply. From Q-Code and Faceplant, in association with No Smiling, I'm David Kushner, and this is Crime Waves, Cold Truth. This is episode four, Devil's Tower. Not all of Dr. Malov's army of believers came from the science world, I think he just liked having somebody
6: around that had a journalistic mind, such as Rick Broussard. Most of the people he was surrounded by were academic types talking over the heads of everybody around them. Or they were flaky weirdos who were attracted to science because of the power that it offered. So I I guess that was a nice contrast to all of that. Rick was the
4: editor of the Bow Times, the free newspaper in the little bedroom community where Malov lived. Malov had reached out to Rick about writing a science column for the newspaper. And ultimately, Malov didn't become a Bode Times columnist, but
6: he did become Rick's friend. He mentioned that MIT had fudged some numbers or something. Then I remember thinking, what a college actually do that? Aren't they like these sort of inner sanctums of accuracy and truth? How in the world could that happen? Yeah, so I, I doubted him, but he said there's more to it. You want to you want to talk about it? And so that's when our, our relationship really kind of kicked into gear because suddenly there was a mystery that we might solve together.
4: Soon enough, Rick was hanging around Malov's house and naturally they spent
6: a lot of time in the basement talking about experiments. It was always like, you know, if you have a friend who's got like a model train set or something and you know he's gonna show you whatever the new engine is or, or the new feature on it, the difference is, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about most of the time but I was good at listening and nodding.
4: Each time, Dr. Malov was sure he was
6: on the verge of a breakthrough. One of the times that Gene called me, he said, Rick, you gotta get over here. I need a witness for an experiment I'm about to do. And I said, oh, okay. So I was picturing, you know, I don't know, something with wires and tubes. And when I got to his house, he had a coffee can and a board. And I asked him, "What? what is it? And he said, well, this is an alchemy experiment. And then I just watched him light the whole thing on fire. And sure enough, it started Bubbling and frothing. It looked just like a crack in, in the magma on the top of a volcano, splurting out little yellow globs. Apparently, what he was trying to conjure up there was a transmutation of elements. And like most experiments, it failed. But nonetheless, Gene was willing to try stuff like that.
4: Malva was willing to try a lot of things, and his plans always seemed to get bigger. One day in the spring of 1993, Dr. Malov called Rick up to congratulate him on his new gig as the editor of New Hampshire Magazine. And this felt very timely for Malov, who was cooking up his latest idea. He told Rick that he was sure a development in cold fusion was just around the corner and the world needed to be ready for it society needed to understand now what cold fusion was and how it would reshape everything. So Malov had this idea to start his own magazine about cold fusion.
6: He saw it as, this is going to be like a car, you know, or a computer, both of which have plenty of magazines around them saying, here's this new device. You're gonna to wanna to know everything about it. You're gonna to wanna to know all the products associated with it. Here's a magazine to do that. So it's gonna be a technology that we need to humanize as quickly as possible so that it can start the work of changing the world. Rick wasn't sold. And I said, it's crazy. It's too specific. It's, you know, it also it's not not quite real yet. And uh, even when it isn't, it's gonna be very technical. I told him constantly it was a bad idea.
4: But Maloff had made up his mind. He was already getting plenty of media attention from his book and his abrupt resignation from MIT. So he started to establish himself as the go-to spokesperson for anyone seeking comment on cold fusion. He was doing everything he could to keep the cold fusion conversation alive. If we A crisis of confidence in Boston's
1: leading research institution. Details just ahead here on 90.9 WBUR Boston. Dr. Eugene Malov believes data was manipulated to debunk cold fusion. There basically is an infinity of energy, essentially free from seawater in the oceans of the world.
4: And to Rick's surprise, it was only a matter of time before Malov's work paid off.
1: Physicist Eugene Malov is editing a brand new monthly magazine on cold fusion, which hit the newsstands just this month.
4: About a year after his conversation with Rick, Malov finally did it. He started a publication of his own and he called it
6: Cold Fusion Magazine. It was pretty close to what Gene had in mind. It was glossy, a pretty magazine. But, And of course, there's a but. I don't think it survived more than an
4: issue or two. Unfortunately, the magazine got off to a false start because of his
6: publisher, a guy named Wayne. Wayne was an eccentric character to say the least. He didn't believe in the moon landing. He thought if you ate only raw food, you'd never die. He's dead, (laughs) and he was a very controversial guy.
4: Wayne had claimed to be the founder of the prolific computer magazine, Byte, before he lost it to his ex-wife, who sold it to a publishing giant. And at first, it seemed like fate that he and Malov got hooked up. But pretty soon, he became
6: difficult to work with. Gene immediately realized that Wayne was a hustler and not being totally honest about everything, I assume. But Malov barely flinched. He
4: quickly severed ties with Wayne and luckily had kept in touch with someone who could help him start fresh.
1: Oh, there you are, my friend. I sure can, Art. How you doing
4: there? Arthur C. Clarke and Dr. Malov had become pretty good friends by now. They even video chatted using these clunky gadgets that plugged into their fax machines.
1: (laughs) It worked. Hey, I got a good picture.
4: Clarke agreed to back Malov's new publication that he was going to start about cold fusion. And just seven months later, in March 1995, Malov launched the first issue of this new and improved magazine with a fresh name. It was a name that evoked the promise and the possibilities of the innovation of cold fusion, and he called it infinite energy. Infinite energy, (laughs) sounds uh, ridiculous, right? Maybe, that is until you look at everything that's been happening in the field of cold fusion since 1989. Arthur C. Clarke himself even penned the welcome note right inside the cover of the first issue. It read, I congratulate Gene Malov on his courage in launching infinite energy.
6: Well, this is a good way to start off your magazine with pretty much the most brilliant synthesizer of science and fiction ever, who not only predicted, he practically described how science of the future was going to work. Being a fan of Clark himself, Rick was pretty blown away. If you can get a famous person, you know, into your first issue, then maybe you're on the right track. From that point on, Rick would never again underestimate
4: the power of Malov's conviction. Crime Waves Cold Truth is sponsored by BetterHelp. This time of year can be a lot to handle. With less daylight and the changing weather, you might get some seasonal blues. And even if you love the holidays, there's plenty of stress involved. All the planning, the travel, the family. So, you know, it's natural to feel some anxiety or sadness as the year comes to a close. But adding something new and something positive to your life can help counteract some of those feelings, like therapy. When there's so much going on, therapy can give you the tools to manage it all, whether that involves coping skills, learning how to set boundaries, or just understanding how to take a moment when the stress piles up and stay centered. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's an online solution, so it's incredibly convenient. And since you don't have to go to an office, you get extra flexibility. It's easy to get started, too. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you need a new one, that's no problem either. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com CWCT to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash CWCT. Less than three years after he started Infinite Energy, Malov was gaining quite the following. He was giving talks all around the country.
1: How did I get into this crazy business to begin with? Well, I'm an engineer with some credentials, you know, MIT and Harvard, but those don't mean anything because so many people with credentials are uh, mentally dead, especially many MIT professors.
4: Not only did he have the charisma, he had a genuine knack for translating complex science in a way that the average person could understand.
1: So these hot fusionists in the United States aren't very good at changing their paradigms. The paradigm was not to mimic the sun, that was their paradigm. The paradigm was to get energy out of water.
4: He had essentially become the poster boy for cold fusion advocacy.
7: Good morning, America, you're on ABC.
1: Physicist Eugene Maloff says, cold fusion is becoming a hot topic investigated with new vigor. Like electricity, like television, all of these things were in most cases thought to be totally impossible, never happened in a million years or if ever, uh, but they all have come true. Cold fusion is too good to be true, but it's real.
4: He even got a call from Paramount Pictures. He needed an expert consultant for their new thriller called The Saint. Starring Val Kilmer as a high-tech thief who tries to steal a revolutionary formula for achieving, yes, cold fusion. This woman has discovered something that will revolutionize the world. It's
3: a formula for creating energy. How did she do that?
4: Magic. Investors started showing up at his door. If cold fusion proved legit, they did not want to miss out it didn't matter to Malov that they insisted on remaining anonymous to avoid tarnishing their reputations. And one of those anonymous donors didn't just want to invest in Malov's magazine, he wanted to bankroll it. By 1998, less than three years after launching Infinite Energy, Malov's operation had grown from the basement of his house to an independent lab and a magazine headquartered in New Hampshire's capital of Concord. And there, he could finally expand his staff.
3: I saw an ad for a publishing secretary at Infinite Energy Magazine, and it was in the town next to the town that I was living in. So I thought, oh, that's convenient, and it's in publishing, how interesting.
4: Christy Frazier had light brown hair and a shy but friendly smile. She'd worked at a local library in a small newspaper. Now, the 24-year-old found herself perusing the want ads again. Christy had no clue what Infinite Energy magazine was, but it sure sounded cool. So she applied and quickly got an interview. And in June 1998, she made the short drive from her apartment to the Infinite Energy office in Concord. Christy sheepishly walked into the imposing concrete building That housed the magazine's cluttered offices. The lobby's 50 foot ceilings towered over her. She sat waiting not so patiently for the mysterious Dr. Malov to appear.
3: It's the first PhD I ever had an interview with. And I don't know, I thought he was gonna have on a suit and a bow tie and be a stuffy academic type. You know, I thought he was going to get up on a chalkboard and draw me some diagrams. You know, like I was fearful that that would happen and that he would lose me very quickly.
4: But then Dr. Maloff came bounding down the hallway. He was dressed in his usual khaki pants and canvas vest that he wore over his short sleeved button down shirt.
3: Some of the first words that Jean spoke to me were please don't be alarmed by my office space. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's no reflection on the work that I do or how I do my work.
4: Maloff whisked Christy into his large office and she saw what he meant
3: there were at least 20 file cabinets, maybe as many as 30. The most file cabinets I've ever seen in one location. And I assumed they were full since on top of file cabinets were piles high, like some of them were two, three feet high of additional papers. And he said, that's stuff I need to have filed. And I said, well, I will be very good at that, thankfully.
4: (laughs) Christy took a seat across from Dr. Malov and he was not like what she expected. He was personable easy to talk to. They chatted more about where Christie grew up and the movies they liked than the job itself. But when they finally got back around to the subject of work, Malov was interested in how she might lend her librarian expertise to create a much needed archive of his cold fusion materials.
3: I told him, well, there's certain things I'm not going to give you advice about unless you actually give me the job, you know? And he appreciated that.
4: Malov appreciated it so much that he hired her. Christie started right away and she had her work cut out for her. Malov needed all the help he could get.
3: Up until that point, he did essentially 99% of things himself. Any customer inquiries or orders, he was processing all of those. He was actually typesetting the magazine. I mean, he was doing everything, every aspect of publishing and the bigger picture stuff.
4: Maloff had come a long way from the basement of his home. He had three employees for the magazine and would eventually hire lab staff. He had more subscribers than ever and he had bigger projects still on the horizon. He was the busiest man Christie ever met. If he wasn't editing the magazine or on the phone, he was working on his documentary. Very water. It covers 70% of the surface of our planet and gives life to all biological systems. Christie had no idea that her new job would involve brushes with Hollywood stars until the film's narrator called the office one day.
3: And of course he didn't say, Scotty, you're from Star Trek. He just said, James, do I'm calling about the documentary. And I just had a really weird moment where I couldn't speak. This was one of the first like famous people that I had ever spoken to.
4: Christie never had a boss like Dr. Mala before. And he quickly made her feel like part of his own Justice League. He talked science with her in a way she could understand. And he was quirky. That much was clear when she walked into his office one day and noticed that he'd hung what appeared to be a bread bag up on his wall like a piece of art.
3: I said, why do you have a bread wrapper pinned to your bulletin board? And he said, well, do you see what's on it? And I looked and I said, well, that's a flying pig. Do you believe in things that can't happen? And he said, well, obviously I (laughs) do
4: Flying pigs began popping up all over Malov's office, flying pig statues, flying pig posters, and Christie's least favorite, a flying pig mobile that danced from the ceiling.
3: I started calling it the hiding pig instead of the flying pig because I was constantly trying to put it out of view because he was so ugly.
4: (laughs) The flying pigs were just a silly joke, but they were born out of the bitterness that forced him to leave MIT. They represented how his work flew in the face of the skeptics, like the one who told the New York Times that theorizing about cold fusion was like hypothesizing how pigs would behave if they had wings. Chrissy had only heard a little bit about Malo's past, but she was about to find out just how angry he still felt about MIT. By late 1998, Christy and the staff were busy preparing for Infinite Energy's biggest issue yet. The 10th anniversary of Pons and Fleischmann's announcement was approaching and Dr. Malov planned to do what no other science publisher would dare. He devoted an entire oversized issue of Infinite Energy magazine to the controversy and the people at the white hot center of the cold fusion war.
3: It was probably one of the issues we spent the most work on in advance. And I do have certain memories of that issue because it was one of the first times that Gene wrote something where I had to ask him if I could sit down with him and talk to him about what he had written.
4: That's because Dr. Malov had decided to blow the whistle on MIT louder than he'd ever done before. Since Fire From Ice had been completed before the battle at his old alma mater had concluded, he could finally put it all in print now. The exhaustive 57-page expose read almost like a science paper itself with a detailed timeline, a scathing analysis of all the events and a collection of evidence against MIT 37 exhibits in all, including letters, transcripts, memos, photos, and even that party invite for the cold fusion wake to use the phrase
8: scientific schlock, which then MIT Plasma Fusion Center director Professor Ronald R. Parker used against Fleischmann and Pons's work in 1987. Some would say fraudulently represented data. There was deliberate fraud. The MIT's reputation as a bastion of skepticism against fusion treachery, th- and conniving by Parker and Ballinger are there for all to see. It was not only data, manipulation; it was disgraceful.
3: I remember reading his initial draft and I went into his office and I said, look, I would like to sit down with you. I talked to my managing editor about it first and she sat in on the meeting because she had similar concerns that I did.
4: Namely about Dr. Malov's incendiary tone. She implored Malov as she spoke.
3: I hear all the time about different periodicals being sued for misrepresentation. And I said, as long as everything you're saying can be proven, that's fine, but there's certain name-calling tactics that I was uncomfortable with. So we had a lengthy conversation about toning down certain things, and and he agreed in some instances, and others he didn't.
4: Chrissy left the office feeling better, but still a bit nervous. Dr. Malov, though, didn't seem to be anxious at all, especially given the mischievous stunt that he pulled next.
3: He brought out to me one day the entire MIT faculty database, and he plopped it on my desk and said, Put all these names in the database.
4: There were more than 1,200 names that he wanted her to add to Infinite Energy's subscriber list. Why? Because he wanted them each to receive a copy of this issue. He wanted them to read the truth for themselves.
3: I just was completely floored by that. And I thought, what are you doing? This Is worth the money? And he was like, this is what's happening, people. Get on board with it. So that was our biggest mailing of any issue we ever did. When it went to press, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, are we going to get
4: sued? As the issue made the rounds, there were no lawsuits after all. And the experience had really given Christy a deeper understanding of her boss and the passion behind his decade-long quest for cold fusion.
3: Because he, still many years later, was obviously very emotional about what had happened. And it really painted how the rest of his life unfolded, frankly.
4: It was a bitterness that would inform many of the choices he would make
7: to come.
3: It's 1986, Newark, and Michael Morrison is offered the opportunity of a lifetime. A new job, a fresh start with a secure future as a cop. But Mike has no idea he's about to join what he calls the biggest gang in America. I'm Saren Jones, and this is Black and Blue Behind the Badge, a story about what happens when you have to pick a side. Follow Black and Blue Behind the Badge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Do you
4: wanna hear something
8: spooky? Some monster was standing there. It reminded me of Bigfoot. In walks
4: tall grey alien. One of the
5: teenage boys started to exhibit signs of textbook demonic possession.
1: I'm Derek Hayes, host of Monsters Among Us podcast. This pure all-white entity staring straight at me. Where there should have been eye sockets, there weren't. Monsters Among Us is an anthology of real paranormal stories. Told by real witnesses.
6: I never really believed in this blackness Monster nonsense, but something very snake-like lifted its head out of the water. A giant black
8: triangle. It was so big that it blotted out the stars. And I saw what looked like a huge monster. I could see the outline of hair.
1: New episodes of Monsters Among Us drop every Thursday. Available wherever you listen to
4: podcasts. Somehow I had lost eight whole hours. In November 1998, Dr. Malov picked up the latest issue of Wired Magazine and read an important headline right there on the cover. Dirty Science, the Strange Rebirth of Cold Fusion. Malov had initiated this feature story when he mailed his book to the reporter who knew nothing of cold fusion at the time. The result was an 18-page expose on the problems the field faced. It was exactly what Malov had hoped for.
8: We feel a certain amount of pride at Infinite Energy Magazine for having contributed what may be the best journalistic account of the cold fusion saga.
4: Malov didn't even seem to mind Wired's take on Infinite Energy Magazine. The reporter called it a wild grab bag of eye-popping assertions and evangelistic rants against the establishment. He went on, At the same time, buried among the far-fetched claims were rigorous reports about credentialed scientists. The result was schizophrenic, like a collision between American Journal of Physics and Weekly World News.
2: That's hilarious. (laughs) I I, I do remember them saying that. I probably agreed with them.
4: Jed Rothwell had started both magazines with Dr. Malov. He contributed to nearly every single issue of Infinite Energy, providing
2: technical detail and analysis. The painfully conventional Martin Fleischman model is, is me, And perhaps, perhaps it would be fair to say that Gene represented the other side of that, the, uh, <laughs> the wild accusation side. That's why
4: Jed and Malov complimented each other in this strange way. Jed had long been a cynic from his years as a programmer. He didn't put scientists on a pedestal like Malov
2: did. They're no different from anyone else. They're not so open-minded at all. But he was very much a believer in the nobility of science and that scientists put the progress of mankind ahead of their own ego. And there's some truth to that. Some of them are like that, indeed. Gene was. To his fingertips, he was like that. And that's why it hurt that much more
4: when the scientific community turned its back on him.
2: Of all the scientists I've, I've met, he was perhaps the most intellectually honest and really believed deeply in in science and the the beauty of it and the benefit to society and so on. And what he got in return for that was he got kicked in the teeth. (laughs) As soon as he started publishing the truth. Who could blame him for being bitter? I can't begin to describe how angry he was and how um, disenchanted. Well, he made what seemed like wild accusations against MIT, but I think they're, they're very well documented. Maloff didn't mind thinking he
4: was extreme. He leaned into it, liking himself to a UFO-obsessed character in one of his favorite Spielberg films.
8: Some people might look at me and see the Richard Dreyfuss character in that old movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, the guy who, uh, with his tongue maniacally hanging out of his mouth, sculpted Wyoming's Devil's Tower out of mashed potatoes as he struggled to make sense of what he'd experienced.
4: Well, I guess you've noticed Something a little strange with dad. Have it for a friend. Malov got comfortable on the fringe. He decided that any press that spread the revolutionary message of cold fusion was good press. Even if that meant going even further out on the scientific fringe where all kinds of battles waged. In the early hours of an otherwise normal Tuesday, Malov eagerly clutched his phone inside his home in New Hampshire. He was calling in as a guest on a radio show most academic scientists would never think to appear on.
6: From the high desert to great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning. As the case may be, this is indeed Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Since
1: 1995, Dr. Eugene Malov has been the editor-in-chief of the bi-monthly Infinite Energy magazine. Doctor, welcome to the program.
4: Delighted to be on, Art. The late-night conspiracy talk show Coast to Coast AM was syndicated around the world. For Malov, it didn't matter if he was going to be appearing alongside Bigfoot hunters, alien abductees, or exorcists. He had the gospel of Cold Fusion to preach to the show's millions of fans.
1: It all boils down to a brain deadness when you have a large, occupied federal agency whose right hand doesn't know what his left hand is doing.
4: Coast to Coast AM invited Malov back many, many times.
1: It is academia, it's the stupidity of academia. I think they're too stupid. Honestly, they really are. They're incredibly stupid. They have so much power and money that they can afford to do stupid things like ignore
4: cold fusion, all right?
1: The academic government complex is against new scientific ideas, and they're brain dead.
4: Malov became such a popular recurring guest on Coast to Coast AM that he got what amounted to celebrity treatment.
3: He didn't get a call from a producer. I think it was always the host who called him. I mean, he always was willing (laughs) Uh, at any time of day, any day of the week, any time of the year, to do anything that he viewed as a way to educate people.
4: And this gambit worked. After every appearance on Coast to Coast AM, calls would pour into the Infinite Energy offices. People wanted to subscribe, they wanted Malov's books. They were hungry for information. But it also brought in more questionable types.
3: Gene's belief was just because it's too wild to believe doesn't mean that it's not real. I was really quite shocked at how much time he would spend with a complete stranger, like somebody would call, and two hours later, he'd still be on the phone with them. Uh, You know, because I wasn't able to put any calls through to him. Busy, busy, busy. So finally, I'd go down the hall to see what the heck's going on. And he'd still be on the phone with that same person we'd called two hours ago.
4: Malab made himself available 24 hours a day, it didn't matter if it was 3 a.m. when some inventor in Europe wanted to talk on the phone, he would answer. And he often made treks all over the world just to see someone's invention, for better or for worse. Consequently,
6: he was a little susceptible to
4: uh, to people on the fringes. Rick Bussard was still editing New Hampshire Magazine, but he was spending more time with Malov, who'd asked him to join the board of a nonprofit he'd started called the New Energy Foundation. And Rick was starting to think that Malov was maybe
6: spending a little too much time out there on the fringe. He always had some nutty friend he was telling me about, you know, and 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 usually he would say, you know, and he's got this device and it was doing these amazing things. Yeah, but of course, he wouldn't let me look at it or touch it because he's—he just doesn't—he doesn't—he doesn't approve of you touching his experiments because it might do something to it on a cerebral or psychic level. And I'm saying, well, it sounds like he's just like he's just a phony. And Gene was say, yeah, but he, but the machine is doing these things, you know. So he was always straddling the world of a believer and the world of a skeptic because he didn't want to be imprisoned by either of those worlds. And that's, I think, what made him such a remarkable person.
4: In August 2000, Malov made a trip to Toronto and stepped into an inventor's private lab. What exactly happened next is anyone's guess because he signed a non-disclosure agreement. But one thing's for sure, what he saw there changed him. What
8: I observed at your laboratory is so very dissonant with what I had come to understand about the alleged certainties of modern physics.
4: Sometime after his visit, he wrote the inventors a letter. Frankly, I was shaken and stunned by the
8: observations
4: and measurements in your laboratory when I was there. I will never forget those experiences. Malov was hooked. He'd later rave about it on coast to coast. I have personally been at the lab and seen it. There's no doubt. that that these machines exist. He called the inventors the modern Teslas. Was this the invention he'd been searching for? The invention that would change the world? They are
1: publishing work which is exemplary, pioneering, and I hope someday they are blessed with a reward for it.
4: The problem was not everyone agreed.
1: Because up to this point, all they've been rewarded by is uh, abuse.
4: While skeptics were par for the course, this time it was different.
1: In fact, abuse even by people in the cold fusion field,
4: I regret to say.
1: Even even the new energy field has
7: had turf wars, and they're stupid. They had a method that when you watched it, it looked interesting, whereas if you watched an ordinary cold fusion experiment, you'd die of boredom before anything happened.
4: Edmund Storms is the retired Los Alamos nuclear chemist. Malov had been out to the lab that Storms had built in his Santa Fe home. It was the place where he was doing his cold fusion experiments, experiments that were funded by NASA and private donors. And Storms had been a contributor to Infinite Energy magazine for years.
7: It was critical. It it, it was not just a source of information about the science. It It also dealt with the politics. It dealt with the various legal issues that were coming up it was the source of information that held the field together that to allowed people to know what other people were doing and it was very very important however it was not designed to be a repository for scientific work
4: storms had since noticed a change in the magazine and a change in malloc who'd become obsessed with this new invention.
7: I believed that their approach was not relatable to cold fusion. It was not even very rational from a basic scientific point of view. This is one of the major areas that we disagreed, and that disagreement became somewhat passionate.
4: Storms warned Malov to distance himself from these inventors.
7: I'm very straightforward and and possibly tactless about my opinions. He was equally passionate about his opinions. And so, of course, we would we never got into a shouting match over the issue. But he definitely was upset and disappointed that I did not agree with him. In my case, it really didn't matter whether he agreed or not with me because I was going down an entirely different path. And I knew that these people had absolutely nothing to contribute. But my opinion apparently did matter to him.
4: But Malov refused to heed his warnings whatever he saw in the lab that day was worth fighting for, but it would come at a price.
2: I thought they were bad for him, bad for the reputation of cold fusion. We had some fallings out.
8: You need to admit that you don't have enough scientific expertise to evaluate their work.
2: He was very aggressive, pugilistic, I guess you would say, he was the kind of person who would argue with someone when when it would be best to jump in your car and flee.
3: As soon as I answered and he he told me who it was, I obviously knew something bad had happened.
4: That's coming up on Crime Waves, Cold Truth. From Q-Code and Faceplant, in association with No Smiling. This is episode four of eight of Crime Waves, Cold Truth. Cold Truth is hosted by me, David Kushner, and based on my article, The Coldest Case. The events in this series are true and actually happened, but some reenactment details are dramatized. Actor Jason Kravitz is the voice of Dr. Malov, and the dialogue is drawn from Malov's extensive writings and speeches. The series is written, reported, and produced by me, David Kushner, Heather Schrehring, and Sean Cannon for No Smiling, and Graylin Brashier. Original music and sound design by John Eckhaus. Fact-checking by Rebecca Nelson. Additional writing by Rolf Potts. Managing producer is Daniel Rafe. Marketing lead is Ellie Kotapish. Executive produced by Stephen Kanner, Jamie Schutz and me, David Kushner, for Faceplant, and Rob Herding and David Henning for Q Code. If you like what you heard, please give us a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And tell your friends about us. The next episode will be out in a week. Don't miss it. Be sure to follow Crime Wave's Cold Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.